The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian, investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am delighted to bring our listeners Kiera Mulvey. She is the executive director of the Fair Share CSA Coalition based in Madison, but extending their reach really nationally. So Kiera, welcome. Thanks so much. Well, I wanted to interview you today because a number of things. I think that Wisconsin is one of the more unique states when it comes to really being ahead of the game when it comes to local farms, community-supported agriculture. And then I really love the two cookbooks that you've produced to help fund your coalition and all that it stands for. So first of all, just tell me a little bit about yourself. You're the executive director. How did you get involved with community-supported agriculture and a coalition of farmers? Well, I'm really lucky to have landed here in Madison, Wisconsin, where the ground is literally very fertile for community-supported agriculture and other direct market family farms that are serving our community directly. I've been at Fair Share CSA Coalition now for about five years, and I came to the coalition and to Madison from a background in urban agriculture, actually, in, in Providence, Rhode Island, and working with people to exchange ideas and learn to grow food in an urban environment. So really connected with food and with the soil and and thinking about growing our own food, sourcing our own food locally, and so happy to be here in the breadbasket of the Middle West doing that. Mm -hmm. Why is it important, do you think, to have these local food systems? Oh, my gosh, so many different reasons. And I actually, that's what's so exciting for me about working in the local food movement is that It's accessible for so many different people for so many reasons. I might be passionate about the taste and quality of my food. You can't get food that tastes any better than when you buy it directly from a farmer. But equally as valid and a reason that we see people coming from is because they just want to invest their dollars in their local community. So the economy is a strong driver for people. Personal health, the nutrition that you see from these freshly picked vegetables at the total peak of their ripeness. And then the community elements, which is a little less tangible, but something that is no less important to the movement. So this food intersection of community food can bring so many different people, literally, pardon the pun, but to the table. And so that's really exciting for me. Yeah, and I think that when we talk about this notion of community, it is important, certainly from an economic standpoint, but there are also studies here and there that show that Feeling a strong sense of community and having those relationships within a local community actually contributes to public health, even in addition to the good health that comes from eating nutritious food. So it's a really huge issue and very important. So I'm so glad that you're in the heart of it. Okay, we should probably explain to our listeners a little bit about community-supported agriculture. We hear the term CSA. Maybe we don't feel exactly comfortable with understanding what it is. You know, we've got farmers' markets. We've got farms that sell to institutions. And then we've got the CSA. What makes a CSA unique? 
What I love about CSA and what I think is really its unique defining feature in the whole local foods movement is that element of relationship and interdependence between the consumer and the producer. So sort of flipping that model about you grow or you produce something and I am a pure consumer to be having it be more of a two-way street. So on a very technical or tangible level, I as a, a CSA member will join your farm for the season usually pay up front, although there's a lot of flexibility in the nuts and bolts, and it varies from farm to farm. And in exchange for my buying into your farm for the season or enrolling in your farm as a member, I not only get a weekly or biweekly delivery of food, oftentimes vegetable, but we're seeing more and more diversity in CSA shares every year, meat shares, cheese shares, other specialty products. And I receive that bounty that you're growing, packing, delivering, or sometimes picking up at the farm, but I also have this connection with a group of people who are eating from my farm and the knowledge that I am investing directly in a family farm and keeping the land um, in healthy food production and also putting my sort of money where my mouth is. So these are things that I believe in in terms of environment, health, sustainability, local economies. It's a really powerful way for people to have that direct relationship and get the freshest food throughout the growing season, so having that long-term relationship. From the grower perspective, I have a community of supporters who I know are behind me. They're invested in my farm, you know, in thick and thin. There's been instances over years where there's a, a big flood here in Wisconsin. We had terrible floods in the summer of 2007. And with a relationship that is established with your community base, you can count on their support over the long haul. So sometimes you might see a little less tomatoes in your box, because as we had um, in 2009, the late blight hit the fields and farmers were wiped out. But we've supported those farmers through the difficult times and also, in exchange, through the bountiful times. So in a good harvest year, you'll have a bumper crop of tomatoes in your box. So it's this sort of give-and-take, ebb-and-flow relationship where we're acknowledging that food is different than your average commodity and we're, we're all in it together. That's really a beautiful concept. Yeah, I was going to ask you what would happen if the farm had a catastrophe, especially in light of climate change. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Do the farmers themselves have any kind of insurance that protects them against natural disasters? It varies so significantly, especially as we're talking to a national audience in a regional and by state-by-state -state way in terms of what other safety nets farms have. In general, the small-scale farms that are offering CSA shares, farmers have farmer's market customers, there's very little safety net there. Mm -hmm. So it, the burden and the reward of that really falls to the community of eaters to say, hey, we believe in you, this is an important element of our community, and we're going to provide that community very grassroots-level safety net to be able to ensure that we can keep producers on the land, growing food in good times and in more challenging times. Mm -hmm. I wish there was a way to measure all of the benefits that you said, you know, to have some really good hard data to show that this is such a healthy way for us to live. And I, I think that it's a patriotic thing to do, you know, growing our own food and developing our own local communities and having true independence. So I love what you're doing. I want to just mention that the CSA Coalition has two cookbooks, and we have to talk about recipes because we're in the thick of this beautiful farm productivity season. But the first book that you did to support your activities was called From Asparagus to Zucchini, A Guide to Cooking Farm Fresh Seasonal Produce, and it was published in 2004. 
And I loved the cookbook so much that I've been promoting it nonstop ever since. And I loved what one of your contributors wrote. This was David Bruce. And he was a, an organic farmer and sustainable ag advocate from southwestern Wisconsin. He said, seasonal eating is environmental eating. It's zen eating, requiring mindfulness. When we eat locally produced foods in accordance with the seasons, foods take on the nature of their time on earth, and we develop a sense of place and greater appreciation of home. And I don't think anything really sums up the beauty of what you're doing more than this statement. It's an appreciation of home. You know, I, I was talking to a farmer yesterday, and she said, do you think you can actually taste the difference of, say you had the very same kind of vegetable, but it came from one farm versus another? Do you think you would taste the difference? And I didn't really know how to answer that. What do you think? Oh, I, I do think so. You know, it's similar to the, in, in the wine world, the concept of terroir, you know, and what it is that is the essence of your soil. And it's another one of these very difficult to kind of put in a box concepts. But yes. last year we had a, a super dry season here in Wisconsin, as I know a lot of the country did. And I work at a farm called Blue Moon Community Farm. And at our farm, we felt like that dryness really created the most amazing, very, very place-based tomatoes. And we grow nice tomatoes. We always grow nice tomatoes. We feel good about them. But last year was just like this kind of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, it was this challenging, challenging situation. And these tomatoes were completely out of this world and tasted different than other tomatoes that we had. So it's hard to bring it down to the soil science level or the microbial level to figure out why. But the end of the day, I'm not sure if why really matters, but how is really so significant. Yeah, I agree. Well, I love your first book, and I want to just let our listeners know that your website is where you can order one or both of these books. They're different, and we're going to talk about that. But if you simply go to csacoalition.org, and we'll provide that link on the website, you can access these books and, and learn a little bit more. And the phone number is 608-226-0300. And again, that is for the CSA Coalition, Fair Share CSA Coalition. All right, let's talk a little bit about You've birthed a new baby, the farm, <laughs> the farm Fresh and Fast cookbook. It's a little bit different from Asparagus to Zucchini. How do these books differ? Well, we've been selling From Asparagus to Zucchini for many years. It was originally published in the late 90s, actually, and has had several iterations since then. So we have been collecting feedback from our buyers, whether they be farmers who give them to their members or members directly from throughout the country, who were interested in kind of thinking about what else can I do with fresh food. So we love asparagus to zucchini. It's organized, as the name implies, from A to Z. It's simple to find the vegetables that you need. They're straightforward cooking recipes, easy to interpret, easy to put to work right away in your kitchen. And we wanted to hold on to some of those core elements with Farm Fresh and Fast. We wanted to make sure that it was still intuitive, that it still makes sense. You can find what you're looking for that the recipes are simple. They can help us to incorporate fresh food into every day. It doesn't have to be a special occasion in order to, for us to cook or eat good food. And we wanted to kind of push it to the next level to say, okay, especially when we're working most closely with CSA growers and eaters, we find people saying, I really love this recipe, but 
my box doesn't have the key ingredient in it this week. So this is a, a tool for people to say, okay, I have some basic concepts, I have a, a master recipe, and maybe there's some room for me to do some substitution, to encourage some flexible cooking there. And so the book itself is actually organized around plant parts or plant anatomy. Loosely, we make some exceptions because at first we want it to be um, a useful cooking tool. But for the most part, it's organized by plant anatomy. So, for example, there's a leafy green section, a root vegetable section, a fruits eaten as vegetable section, and so on. And it's mostly categorized by how you would use the fruits and vegetables in your CSA box or at your farmer's market culinarily. What use would they have in the kitchen? So if you have a favorite recipe from the, either the community-sourced recipes that are in the book or some of the master recipes, but you don't have the key ingredients, that's okay. Be flexible. Substitute something else in. And that chapter will have a number of ideas on what you might be able to substitute in there. I love that you did a survey of your users to find out, you know, we love love asparagus from, to zucchini, but what else, you know, what's missing and what else can we do to raise it up another notch? I personally will still be promoting from asparagus to zucchini because I'm the kind of person that likes to just open it up, and I love that it's alphabetical. I don't have to check an index. I don't have to go through the chapters. I just know, okay, I'm on the, I'm on carrots. I've got carrots in my box today or at the farmer's market. This is what I can do with them, and I just want to let our listeners know that every fruit and vegetable has a section on cooking tips and storing tips as well as the vegetables. But now there is a different way of organizing information. And was it from the surveys that led you to to move to this new concept? And what were some of the key things that rose up from your survey in addition to, well, gosh, I've got a CSA box and I don't have, I have a missing key ingredient? Yeah, well, we did hold on to, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that was one of the main things that came up. So, First off, we knew that as a community-based organization, that's the heart and soul of who we are, just talking to our members, whether they're literally the, the eaters in the greater Madison or southern Wisconsin area or casting our wider community nets and saying, how's this work working for you? What would you like to see from us? From Asparagus to Zucchini came as a direct result of people saying to us, help, I really want to support a farm, I really want to eat good food, but you know, what is this thing that looks like a spaceship, kohlrabi, or like an underground octopus, celeriac, and, you know, what do I do with it? I want to be a good member, but I'm having a hard time. So that was a real kind of linear move. So when it was time for us to start thinking about a new book to complement A to Z, we said, everybody out there, what do you like? What do you love? What's missing? What could be improved? And the main things that we found to hold on to were people loved the alphabetization, just as you said. It makes it much easier to use. So the community recipes within each section are alphabetized. All your beets are going to be together inside the root section and so on. And they love that they're quick, easy-to-use recipes that call on things that you normally have in your pantry. And in Farm Fresh and Fast, we actually included a pantry section in the back that's pantry basics. Like, okay, you're ready to go out. You want to stock your pantry to be ready to make most of these recipes or most simple recipes. What should a well-stocked pantry have in it? So that helps people kind of establish a baseline. Mm-hmm. We also heard from people, more pictures. You know, I can read about what a celeriac might look like, but just a quick visual of that celeriac would help me to understand what it is. So we did add thumbnails. They're black and white, small-sized thumbnails of each of the vegetables that are featured in the book, and actually some that aren't featured but would still be 
excellent substitution. So there are thumbnails and descriptions about varieties for all of the vegetables that are highlighted here in the book. And then also, as you mentioned, these cooking and storage charts that we have. A lot of people are getting more and more into preservation, be that via canning, pressure canning, freezing. And so people wanted some tips about what are the ways that are appropriate for preserving my leafy greens versus my root vegetables versus my alliums, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Kiara Mulvey. She is the executive director of the Fair Share CSA Coalition, and her organization has put forth two incredibly wonderful books to use, during, especially during the growing season, because they will help you make the most of the bounty. Kara, I have to tell you that I love the title of the new book, Farm Fresh and Fast, because I have this little slogan that I love to use, and that is that fast food isn't, right? It's neither. It's not good-tasting food, really, and it's really not fast when you consider how long you have to wait in line. And so the empowerment to give people both the knowledge of, hey, what is this again, and how do I use it? Because that is a big constraint. When people go to the farmer's market, maybe they'd like to try something like kohlrabi, but they are totally clueless as to how to use it. And who can blame them, right? You don't find these kinds of fruits and vegetables normally in your typical grocery store. The other thing is storage. And what's so interesting is that many years ago, I worked for University Extension, and I came from the College of Home Economics, and so back in the day, we had guides on storing food. And then somehow it became, I don't know, less than ideal, or it wasn't scientific enough, and we wanted to move forward, and Colleges of Home Economics got renamed to Human Environmental Sciences, and we were really discouraged from giving out recipes. But lo and behold, people still need to eat. And in order to be independent and well-fed, We need to know not only what our food is, but when is it in season, how do I cook it, and how do I preserve and store it? And what a difference it can make, right, if you've got something stored in the basement at a certain temperature and certain humidity versus something stored in the drier environment. It makes a difference as to whether or not your food is going to last during the difficult winter months and how wonderful it is to have access to those summer fruits and vegetables when, you know, you're knee-deep in snow and, all this, you know, and you've got this really great food. Do you find that your clients are enjoying that as well? Absolutely, yeah. We're seeing more and more people doing that. You know, farmers are becoming more creative in terms of extending their seasons with hoop houses and, you know, storing bulk produce to sell over the summer. We're seeing more winter farmers markets gain in popularity. So it's a really exciting trend on the farm end. And then also on the consumer end, you know, we're up here in Wisconsin. It's cold here in the winter time. So, yeah. it, you know, with the farmer's best interests, we still have to fend for ourselves a little. And so at Fair Share and myself personally, I'm not interested in the local food movement being something that's sort of a fair weather friend or something that's only available to certain people of certain socioeconomic levels. You know, we're working really hard to make sure that this fresh food and food in general is a basic human right. Good, quality, clean food is something that we all should have access to. And as a community, we need to build those access points, those education points to figure out how do we make it affordable without compromising farmers' bottom lines. We need farmers to make a living. How do we make it accessible both physically in terms of delivery points, food stamps, benefits, et cetera, et cetera, 
and also educationally. How do we take it from something that, you know, the local food movement sometimes gets an elitist rap, and we want to take that away. We want to say, hey, fresh food can be fast. We can all do this for our families on a weeknight with our crazy, hectic, busy schedules, thinking about how do we increase accessibility on multiple levels, financial, educational, time. So, you know, preserving food and reclaiming some of these nearly extinct skills about freezing, about canning, about, just like you were saying, appropriate temperatures can help us to be more food independent and community-wise interdependent, sharing those skills. Mm-hmm. What I also love is that you've got themes in this cookbook. So, you know, you're in a bind, right? Oh, I've got to be at this potluck tonight. I'm working all day. What can I make? And you even have under menus, tips, and other resources, you've got theme menus for different events. There's something in it for every occasion which makes the food accessible as well as delicious. And I personally want to thank you for that because I sense that I'm probably not alone in those in feeling that way. You know, we get in a bind. It's like, what am I going to what am I going to take? You know. Uh huh. I want to also mention something else. In addition to the pantry basics that you have, which are terrific, you also have some interesting notes on under the extras. So you give some really good tips on buying things. For example, beef. You know, you talk about the importance of buying from a farmer that has 100% grass-raised beef. I don't know that people, I think there's a lot of confusion out there. Let's just say that. And I'm not sure that people always understand, even from different farmers at a market or different CSAs, what is the best kind of food to be looking for and there are so many different terms to to confuse us so for example under the grass-fed beef you say 100% grass-fed beef as opposed to finished with grain before slaughter is going to lead towards a more healthy diet with regard to omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids so this is not a scientifically rigorous book but it gives you just enough health information to make it more easy for us to make smarter decisions at the market or in choosing a CSA. Absolutely. And actually the extras chapter was something that certainly came directly from our from our folks out there saying like what I have an I have egg shares and I have you know I have grass fed meat and and it's different and it and that's true. So trying to give people some tools and skills to A ask the right questions of their growers and become, you know, take some responsibility for their own food education and also have some tools at their hands so they can enjoy the wide diversity of of fresh food that's available at our markets and through our CSAs. So I've got to ask you, there are, how many recipes are in this book? I should have counted before our call. There's a little over 300 recipes in the book. So there's over 300 in this one, and, and they're different from asparagus to zucchini, I might add. Absolutely. They're all community sourced. So we had a big recipe contest, collection, recipe testers. It's been a real labor of love and a real community project. We had we had a vast army of food testers and recipe contributors that have made this book possible. You must have had to turn testers away. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. I mean, that's a tough job that somebody's got to do, right? Like, oh, yeah, I want to be a tester for a CSA recipe right. contest. Absolutely. <laughs> so you must have favorite recipes. Do you want to divulge? Well, one that I've been really excited about in the early season this year, which is something that's totally new for me, and we do have some cocktail recipes here in this book. So this one actually is a virgin cocktail called a rhubarb shrub. Oh, 
Rhubarb. And that one I have never in my life experienced what a shrub is before. And this came actually from one of our recipe partners who both contributed some awesome recipes and some of the beautiful photographs that we have featured, Edible Madison. Mm. And they gave us this wonderful rhubarb shrub recipe that I have tasted a few times this spring, and I'm definitely hooked. I would have never thought to have a um, vinegar-based cocktail available in my life, but it turns out it's amazing. Mm -hmm. I agree. Rhubarb is one of those plants that... I'm really crazy about, so I'm glad to know that that's in there. Well, I was sort of leaning towards wanting to try that flan, cardamom flan. Uh-huh. Because, I haven't tried that one myself, but that one looks pretty good. <laughs> well, the chickens are a laying, and so yes, if you've got true. a lot of eggs, it's good to be hunting through those recipes. Of, oh, yeah, gosh, that looks yeah. delicious. And I have done some experimenting with the master recipes, which I is another concept of this book I really love. It kind of gives you a skeleton of a recipe and then four variations about how can I tweak this for through the seasons to kind of make it exciting or add my own variations. So I've been experimenting with some of those master recipes a little bit too. Yeah, I want to give a plug for those as well. I really like this concept. Not only, oh gosh, I don't have one of the ingredients, what can I substitute, which is a really big issue for consumers that are not used to cooking. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. we've developed, you know, into a society that doesn't necessarily know how to cook anymore. But you've got these great basic recipes that anybody can jump into with different flavorings and seasonings. Something else I just want to mention that even though you are based in Madison, Wisconsin, you have recipes that really fit as your book mentions, from Wisconsin to Florida, so and all points in between. And I want to know, what's the farthest point you've ever sold one of your books? We have a wonderful customer outside of Anchorage, Alaska, who buys asparagus to zucchini every year for her CSA. Her CSA is called Basically Basil. Farmer's name is Gretchen, and every year she calls up in the spring and orders a case of A to Z to get to her CSA customers up there in Alaska. So Gretchen wins the prize. (laughs) That is great. Well, And that proves that this book is usable nationwide. And I want to add that I have seen asparagus to zucchini, and I'm sure I'm going to see this new Farm Fresh and Fast also, sold at different farmers' markets. So I do know that it is a wonderful adjunct, even for CSA farmers who want to give their members a little boost, you know, a little gift along with their loyal membership. That's yeah, and both of our idea. books we do, and that's one of the main tools, especially A to Z. When we first came out with it, we wanted to give farmers some tools to educate their members but making it a little easier for them. So both of these books we do sell with significant bulk discounts with the ideas that farmers sometimes will buy them and give them away to their new members, or they have they offer them for resale depending on their farmer's market rules and what they're doing with their share, they can charge up to the cover price for those books. So it can be a little fundraiser for a farmer's market. We have community organizations that sell them at their bake sales and that kind of thing. So that's available for both books. Well, we just have a minute left. Do you want to add anything that I neglected to ask about either your coalition or these fabulous cookbooks? I think we covered most of it. We're just really excited to be able to get these resources out into people's hands and hopeful that they're going to continue to give people the tools they need to be good, thoughtful consumers and cook fresh food every day. Well, I'm very grateful for your work and your enthusiasm and these two terrific books that help all of us eat better and feel better and contribute to the health and wealth of our communities. We've been speaking with Kiera Mulvey. She's the executive director of the Fair Share CSA Coalition 
National Outreach. And I want to recommend the two cookbooks that we discussed, From Asparagus to Zucchini and Farm Fresh and Fast, and you can find those on the website at www.csacoalition.org. Thank you for being my guest, Kiara. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. And I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you again. Thank you.